It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now... Here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me here for Talent Talk. It's Tuesday. We're live, and uh, really excited about our two guests. We have one uh, that's going to be joining us on the phone, and one we'll have here in studio. Speaking of in studio, I have not actually been physically in studio, and I don't know how long, too long. Paul's been reminding me, but. I've been on the road and doing the show from uh, all over the country or sometimes from my house or wherever or the office or wherever I may be. Um, but finally, got back into the, uh, into the studio here. Hopefully, we'll have some more uh, guests in studio because we always enjoy that dynamic as well. So, Tenny will actually be joining us for the second half and uh, will be the in-studio guest. So, in case uh, this is the first time you're tuning in, maybe you are someone who knows one of our guests and are not familiar with the Talent Talk uh, show. Basically, you know, I, I had the opportunity of meeting these inspiring leaders um, and just fantastic people from different conferences and events and things that I may be going to or exposed to. And typically, I'd pull them off into a corner and ask them a thousand questions and try to learn everything I can from them. But I would walk back with that knowledge in my head, and not anybody else w- wouldn't wouldn't know any of those things. So. I created this show to allow you to listen in on that conversation, on our dialogue, on the things that may be happening or topical or important right now in uh, talent development, human resources, leadership development, all these are sort of kind of fascinating things around uh, the talent that we manage and talented people. So uh, we are live here every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, um, but most of you actually tune in to the podcast or the iHeartRadio uh, version of the show. So you can grab us either place there. We have, I think, over 300,000 of you that have come in uh, last week and downloaded an episode, listened to an episode. So a big thank you to all of you that are kind of tuning in on a regular basis and uh, interacting with us. But don't forget, you can uh, interact with us via Twitter. That's kind of our little place where we we, we go for the show, and so we, uh, Mike, my producer, usually live tweeting the show. We interact with everyone there. Use the hashtag Talent Talk. You know, give us a comment, uh, shout out, guest suggestion. Heck, send us a, a suggestion for or a question for one of our guests right now. We'll be happy to try to feed it in the show. But uh, let's go ahead and uh, get things started. Uh, my guest today will be uh, Matthew Perry, a VP of uh, Global Talent Acquisition for uh, Conversant. And then we'll have Tenny Poole, who I mentioned earlier. She's the principal and founder of Positive Talent Strategies. She's a incredible background in HR and really is an expert in the uh, positive inquiry uh, section of, of kind of that thought process. And really excited about everyone kind of getting to know what uh, what that is if you haven't heard of it before. But Let's go ahead and get to our first guest. Uh, Matthew, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. Definitely excited. Uh, yeah. My, my uh, 
definitely my uh, privilege to have you here, and uh, we're excited to, to learn about you. But maybe you could start us off with the with the beginnings here, a little bit about you and uh, what you're doing with your company, uh, Conversant. Definitely. So I'm, as you said, vice president of talent acquisition. Um, I've got a responsibility for about 20 on my recruiting team, and uh, we're responsible for a little over 500 hires a year globally. And uh, I think overall, I don't want to date myself too much here, but I've got uh, about 15-plus years recruiting experience in corporate, retained, and contingent recruiting. Um, and uh, I think the more more exciting piece is about Conversant. Um, company is uh, one that's been around about 17 years and really transformed the way that um, that brands reach out and talk to consumers, um, creating relationships through marketing. And uh, what makes us uh, incredibly unique is our ability to use our proprietary tools and systems to um, engage with those consumers based on what they've purchased and uh, be able to create marketing that speaks to them on a one-to-one basis. And um, just to, to put some numbers around that, we track about a million online actions per second, and we use those actions to create profiles about the people uh, making those, those decisions or, or creating those actions. Now, we don't know who they are um, you know, by name or anything like that. It's, it's all uh, anonymous information, but we use that information to, to create uh, a profile about them that's made up of about 7,000 dimensions. So um, really uh, unique uh, technology and gives us the ability to create that, that unique communication that really nobody else in the marketplace can do. So, you know, we talk a lot on the show about, you know, how to manage your people or how to deal with your staff or motivate, whatever the thing is. But that's sort of like once they're in the door. And a lot of what we've been hearing is that it's that process before they actually step in to their first day that can be just as important as their first day and their first week and their first month in how that applicant feels treated into their kind of that short-term stability for them to turn into maybe a mid-term, long-term employee. So mm-hmm. maybe with some of the things you're talking about here, that sort of analytical data that you're collecting about people's behaviors and actions, what are some of the things that you do, kind of keys for success in making sure that you're managing that acquisition process, you know, prior to them actually stepping in that first day on the job? No, I think uh, that's a huge piece of it, especially with technology these days. Um, I think candidates or new hires were comfortable you know, being left alone for those, whether it was two weeks or four weeks before they actually stepped in the door. And uh, nowadays, you know, not only are more companies making counter offers and people are getting multiple offers at the same time, um, so not only do you, do you need to get them, you know, to, to be excited and accept the offer, but you've got to start with, you know, kind of incrementally um, having them join the fold and, and feel like part of the culture. And so, for us, it's about that, you know, uh, really within the first 48 hours of accepting an offer of, you know, uh, having a hiring manager reach out to them, having the recruiter follow back up with them. And obviously, you don't want to bombard them, but you'll want to make sure that they know that you're excited that they joined, that they're joining a team, and that that integration to that team is going to start quickly. And uh, if you think about it, changing a job is up there with 
you know, God forbid, you know, uh, I think they say, you know, a birth, a death, and and uh, changing a job are some of the more stressful things in your life. And so, um, as recruiters, we don't ever want to lose that understanding that this is a huge, um, you know, life-altering decision that they're making. And even after they've made the decision, we have to make sure that, you know, that we uh, continue to to talk with them and, and start that engagement process even before they step in the door. Sure, sure. And, and you know, one of the things that kind of popped in my head that I thought might be interesting to ask you, because you, you have the experience in the industry, um, and then you also have this analytical data as well. Um, and so... I think maybe from a generational standpoint, we might have used a particular talent. We may have said a particular thing is in, if we generalize across all positions, what is that thing that we wanted for that employee? And maybe in the past, it would have been loyalty, might have been leadership, it might have been being tech savvy. Um, Are you seeing any trends now that sort of you know, push you to, to maybe put a label on a particular talent that, you know, the workforce is looking at from, from a general standpoint, you know, from yeah. going forward? Yeah, I think I and if I'm going in the wrong direction, feel free to, to pull me back in. But, you know, for us, it's really finding people that can wear many hats and and be flexible, I guess would be a good good uh, good word for it. Um, and not to say that we're putting people into ambiguous positions or, or things like that, but you know, people have to be able to to shift with the business, and especially with how quickly technology moves. You know, no longer are people going to be hired and in the same job for 20 years. Um, you know, people's jobs are evolving sometimes at six months, 12 months, 18 months, and um, you know, if you're not comfortable with that transition or that speed, it's you know, it's going to be evident, and uh, you know, I think performance is going to be uh, affected. And so, um, I think the you know the new, you know uh, the new work environment is is looking for those people who want to have some ownership of their job and where it's going and be able to to uh, you know have input on it and then learn new skills as they move along. They can't be afraid to to make mistakes or, or kind of push that envelope. So, so do you think this kind of movement to having that? I keep wanting to use the word diverse, but that's probably the wrong word. But, you know, that wearing many hats, right? So Mm -hmm. I can do a lot of things. I I, I can, as an employee, I come in, I can do a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this. But is there any sort of danger there as our, maybe our workforce and our economy moves more towards that to not having specialists, not having people who have this overly deep knowledge in a particular area? Maybe that means that they're, not quite as good in other areas. They're not as, you know, maybe they have some deficiencies. Because it seems like that's where our workforce is moving, and yet we're outsourcing to the rest of the world to these, you know, masters of a particular thing. They know this. They know Java really well, and that's all they know. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to say hello to their next-door neighbor, but they know Java better than anybody else, right? So where do you see that kind of come into play? No, I, I think that's a great point. I mean, I, I think it's still. Um, I don't think we're will ever totally skew in that direction of of being, um, you know, kind of multifaceted. Um, you know, um, not having a, a specialization. There's always going to be a need for that to a certain degree, but you know, having a skill set that's well rounded and the ability to, you know, move and step into different positions is. Um, yeah, you know, it's a huge thing, and I think the the people we see coming out of universities and colleges these days, you know, recent grads, um, have that 
aspiration and, and um, looking to do many things. And so uh, what we've noticed especially is uh, some of these students coming in that we put into a rotational program where they go through, you know, a, a tech, you know through our technology department, um, you know, analytics, creative, sales, uh, marketing, and they get put into areas that they would, you know, where some of the tech people are like, whoa, I, I would never do this, uh, and I probably will never do this. But it's funny, after the 18 months and they've been through these six segments, um, a lot of times, you know, we'll have out of 24 people, we'll have four or five of them who end up tracking back to a department that they didn't expect to. And uh, I think it kind of goes to what you're talking about, of being able to be multifaceted and be able to, you know, to step into diverse roles or, or uh, you've got me saying diverse too. It's, it's not the word I'm looking for, but it, it's the, um, the ability to, to fill um, different skill sets. And um, maybe you're, you're not exceptional in just one, but you're, you're good or very good in multiple ones is uh, very helpful for a company like ours. Yeah, and we certainly see that uh, employers are starting to expect more and more out of their applicants as, as far as that, you know, wearing a lot of hats type of a scenario. I mean, 15 years ago, somebody would come in and they didn't know how to use Office. We would get them an Office program and teach them how to use Microsoft Office because it was new. It wasn't the mainstream. Now, if someone shows up and they don't know how to use Office, it's like, next. <laughs> you know, we're not getting anybody right. training into that. You know, you should know that. You should know how to Google some, something or you should – these are just things we expect. Yeah, so it sort of pushes that, that – uh, maybe deeper into that area, uh, but it's, it's interesting. We'll, we'll see how the economy changes over the next ten years. If we'll become more, uh, juggle more balls, or if we'll start to to, to go back to being specialists again. And if, if, mm-hmm. if it's anything like fashion, where things come back in vogue every once in a while, we'll see. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. So wh- one of the things that y- you maybe say about uh, conversing on your LinkedIn page is that it's committed to. Uh, one simple but truly exciting principle, each person is different and every person matters. So how does the company really continue to, to live up to this model? I mean, it's, it's, it's a simple thing to say. It's, it's a fantastic saying, actually. But how do you really implement it into something important and, and impactful for the people you're working with? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of multifaceted. Obviously, um, part of that message is going you know external to our clients about, you know, enabling them to market to people uh, in a one-to-one conversation that makes that marketing piece, you know, tangible and interesting to the consumer who's receiving it. And on the flip side, it also relates to the people internally. You know, from from an external standpoint, it's looking at the likes, dislikes, purchases, you know, device usage, location, you know, kind of those, you know, way too many dimensions, 7,000 dimensions that, that go into creating the, that, that profile about somebody that then we, you know, create that personalized marketing, whether it be display or video or, or mobile, how, you know, whatever the medium is that we, that we send that marketing piece. But, um, you know, and, and I think that's, that's amazing in itself, but it, what I think is really interesting is how it's translated internally um, of looking at each person uh, individually and, and their skill sets and then being able to extract, you know, um, what they want, you know, hopefully, you know, uh, connecting what they want to do uh, to what they're good at and then providing them that, that growth plan for a career. And so, you know, it's, it's um, 
providing training, providing benefits that differentiate us in the marketplace. We, you know, we have an open PTO program. We have, um, you know, holiday, uh, or I shouldn't say, excuse me, not holiday, but um, seasonal parties and, and different things that we do that uh, really um, provide a culture that's unique for us. And, you know, this day and age, you can't get away with cliches like, oh, hey, we're work hard, play hard. Um, you know, it's got to be deeper than that. And for us, um, the idea that, you know, each person is different and every person matters. And to, to make that happen, you've got to be able to communicate uh, in a way that's unique to each person. And it's the way that they're going to you know, be able to actually hear you because um, there's a lot of noise out there. So if you maybe get someone who, who kind of fits that bill and they're a talented individual and they're really looking to maybe move forward in their career and they really haven't been able to yet. Are there particular things that maybe you kind of would advise them on to look at to really get them the right footing they need to to begin that advancement process and continued growth in, in their whatever their work may be or their um, mm-hmm. you know career may be? Well, I do hear it a lot, though, um, and you might think it's more of a, an HR, you know, HR business partner type of thing to deal with. But from a recruiting standpoint, I've got a lot of people that I've hired over the years that come back to me, you know, whether it be six months, a year, two years later, and say, hey, you know, I love my role. And then, you know, they tell me the great positives, and I, I always kind of wait for the but. Um, and they and they usually fell up with, you know, gosh, you know, I haven't been promoted or I haven't gotten to this or I haven't gotten, you know, whatever it is. And, um, you know, I, at first I would always listen and, and be sympathetic, and, and, and I still am sympathetic. But um, the one thing that I try and instill is, you know, you're, you're the one who owns your career. You're the one who's going to drive it. If you're waiting for your manager to notice you, uh, waiting for your manager to promote you out of the blue, um, you know, or, or at the end of the year when they're doing, you know, let's say, you know, five to ten uh, end-of-year reviews and merit and bonus and all of these things, and, and they're going through the same process themselves, you're going to be sadly, you know, uh, disappointed. And, uh, and, you know, it's not just telling them that, but then, you know, kind of coaching them a little bit and saying, okay, where do you want to be and how do you think you're going to get there? And and kind of turning their mind onto the fact of, hey, you've got to have the goal and then and then break it down into incremental pieces to get there. You know, I think sometimes we hear too much about people who, uh, I don't know, find the golden, the golden goose or, or, you know, the, the gold at the end of the rainbow and uh, people just expect it to happen organically and, uh and, you know, um, sadly, uh, you have to put a little bit more work into it and you have to own it a little bit more. But um, it can be a pretty amazing feeling when you, when you, you know, get to take that next step and then plan for the step after that and so on and so forth. Right. Well, the other uh, area, too, I wanted to maybe look at it was kind of been talking, whether indirectly or, or not, about maybe the workforce here domestically. Uh, do you guys do a certain amount of recruiting from, on a global scale as well? We do. Uh, you know, really it's um, primarily in Europe. So there is, you know, obviously different caveats to recruiting and, and, and you know, uh, employee retention and things uh, for Europe compared to the U.S. But, you know, we definitely see um, different trends and, and different things happening that, uh, you know, affect who we can go after. So, um are there, are there some specific things you can think of that, you know, kind of make make 
global, you know, recruiting a little bit different or a little bit more challenging or easier, whatever that word may be, you know, than domestically? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's positives and negatives. I mean, for for instance, in Europe, for us, you know, it. Um, you know, with the different, you know, for instance, in our London office, and I only bring this up because it was, you know, it's it's top of mind or, or most recent, but people giving four, six, sometimes eight weeks, they've got gardening leave, you know, it, it's a little bit more of delayed gratification of, great, you filled the role, but we're going to, you know, we're still going to hurt for about eight weeks until we get that person in the door. But, you know, every once in a while, then, you know, it's funny how that affects you because, you might find somebody who can start in a week or two, and you go, "Well, what is there something wrong with them? Why why can they start early?" You know, and it makes you kind of second guess some things that uh, don't really come up here to such a degree in the U.S. side, uh, you know, or on the domestic side. But um, and you know, to go along with that, in in uh, you know our, our European offices um, is you know retention is a little bit different. Um, you know, there's a little bit different loyalty. There isn't as much job hopping. So, um, you know, you, you can have a little bit better retention and, and feeling um, of, uh, of security when you, when you do bring somebody on board compared to here in the U.S. Sure. Well, uh, one of our favorite questions to ask our guests uh, is, uh, what are you reading right now? And can you tell us about that book? Got a couple things. Uh, uh, that's a good question, actually. The, the couple things I've been reading, Small Moves, Big Change, um, and uh, a little bit of a theme here, and then uh, Think Like a Freak and uh, the Pomodoro Technique. Um, I'm usually not reading that many books at one time, but uh, I found a new app called, well, I don't mind if I mention it, something called Blinkist. It's like a Cliff Notes uh, mm-hmm. version of business books and um, gives you about a 15-minute introduction into it, and then uh, you can you know, click to, to get the full download of the book. And so it's uh, it's been pretty pretty interesting to go through, and, and uh, it's made me consume books at a much quicker pace than I normally would. Yeah, sometimes those kind of apps can be great because you can get a taste for a book. I mean, someone mentions, hey, you should check it out, and it's always nice to get a little an intro, an overview, and if you say, yeah, okay, it sounds like the other five books I've read, you can skip it, and if it sounds like it's got some new things or some interesting things, then you can go, maybe go get the full version uh, and, and go after it. Exactly, exactly. Um, but one of the, the one that I would say that's been most interesting lately is uh, Small Moves, Big Change, um, just because it's something that, that helps relate to a lot of my staff and um, being able to articulate to them of, you know, just making a small tweak in your day-to-day over a month you know, a quarter, uh, you know, a half year, full year can have a huge impact on your life. And, and um, you know, whether it be personal or business-wise. And uh, and so we've, you know, put a couple of things together to show them, um, you know, how that can affect, uh, uh, you know, what they do at work, for instance. And, and so uh, it's been pretty interesting, pretty interesting read. I definitely recommend it. Yeah, sounds like a great book. And just as a reminder to everybody, we'll have a blog recap of this interview. And, of course, we will list in there and put links in there for you to all of the um, different books that have been mentioned. So um, in case you didn't have a pen to write it down, you can get it later on peopleg2.com and go to the blog section and find Talent Talk. We've got all of our uh, blog summaries there. Uh, we're, we're nearly out of time. I uh, just want to make sure we... Uh, get the the all-important question in and that is how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about uh, your firm sure sure um 
on LinkedIn. I'm, you know, as a recruiter, kind of constantly out there. Um, they could email me. Easiest is M Perry at conversantmedia.com. And uh, conversantmedia.com would be the website, I assume? Yep. Fantastic. So uh, be, be sure to check them out uh, if you're interested in uh, getting some help with uh, with your recruiting. It sounds like they would be a great company to check out. Really appreciate you being on the show and uh, you know, kind of sharing some of your wisdom and, and, and thoughts on uh, the talent management process. Uh, I'd love to have you come back at some point and give us an update. Awesome. Well, it's been fun, Chris, and uh, definitely we'll uh, be tuning in weekly. All right, fantastic. We'll be right back after this uh, quick commercial break with our second guest, uh, Tenny Poole. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Let's face it, not all company challenges are the same, which is why strategic market intelligence can help identify the actionable information you need to be more competitive. Gain a better understanding of your brand, competition, best prospects, or new product opportunities to generate greater revenues in 2015. Call 949-357-9547 or visit www.strategicmarketintelligence.com. Wow. Marketing predictions are out for 2015, and marketing success is changing. Did you know that Google is now actively tracking your business and personal brand and online reputation? Online and offline marketing has changed. Google is driving more than 85% of your traffic. And if your brand is inconsistent or has poor mobile usability, your rankings and traffic can suffer in 2015. To learn how your business is currently viewed, and what can be done to improve your brand's visibility and authority? Contact SunUp Group for a free marketing analysis. It could be a business game changer. Visit www.sunupgroup.com today or call 877-609-3840, extension 700. On the observation deck of the Empire State Building to demonstrate how much material waste management recycles. As North America's largest residential recycler, last year alone, waste management recycled 12.9 million tons. How much is that? 
Let's do the math. Carry the six. It's enough to fill this building more than 27 times. With experience like that, we're bound to have a program that can help your business recycle. Talk to Waste Management or visit thinkgreen.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Before I get to my second guest, don't forget you can send us your questions via Twitter. Uh, just pop on there, type in your question. If you have room for at PeopleG2, great, but you got to get the hashtag Talent Talk to fit into there, into your, what is it, 141 characters, so we can find it. We can uh, make sure to feed it into today's show uh, or uh, have that conversation later on. So my next guest will be uh, Tenny Poole. She's the uh, principal and founder of Positive Talent Strategies. Um, and uh, we're really ha- happy to have her on the show. She's been a friend of mine for a while now and finally got her in here. <laughs> so, Tandy, why don't you tell everyone a little about yourself? I know you've worked with Experian and you've worked with lots of other companies and are now kind of doing your own thing. So maybe give us the the cliff notes of, of the life of Tenny here so we know who we're dealing with. Okay. Well, most of my background is in human resources. I spent um, just about 30 years in, in Fortune 500 companies. I spent 18 years as, um, at, at, uh, in HR at uh, Beckman Instruments before it became Beckman Coulter. And my last position was 10 years as the VP of HR at Experian. I left in uh, about eight years ago and started my own business, and that brings me to here. And so what does your business do primarily? Well, primarily my my business focuses on bringing about successful and sustainable change for organizations. As we know, that's something that doesn't work very often. Mm-hmm. They, they estimate between 70 plus percent of change efforts fail. Um, I learned a methodology for change while I was at Experian, and we had enormous success with it. And it was not only successful, but it also brought organizations together, increased results, brought about change, did amazing things. Um, And so that's what I really decided I wanted to do. And so when did you realize that then this was a real area of focus for you, that that you really wanted to maybe, you know, have your own business. It's one thing to say, well, this is something I like and I'm going to do it while I'm working for somebody else. It's another thing to go out on your own and to do it all the time. Was there a moment in time or just sneak up on you maybe? I think it (laughs) snuck up on me in different ways. Um, When I was doing this work, I mean, it was just, we were bringing about change that I'd never seen the change that we were bringing. I never even believed it was possible to do some of the things that we were making happen. And so I remember thinking at that time, if I could make this work my permanent, you know, my real full-time job, I'm in. But I was in HR and, and, uh, you know, I was always about organizational performance and so on and so forth. Um, So it took a little while and gradually as sort of a dissatisfaction crept in and I didn't really have the time to think that much about it. So, but at one point in time, I just said, I need to go and I'll figure it out. And what resulted was this is what I really wanted to do. Right. And are there any examples you can think, you said, you know, there was some kind of remarkable changes that you didn't think were possible. Do you have any examples off the top of your head that might be appropriate to to share with us? Oh, I have many. Okay, good. (laughs) The first one um, that we we used at Experian was the people who ran our computer systems. And they were, we were owned by a British holding company who had brought in all new leadership. And the new leadership was, um, was asking parts of the organization to increase their effectiveness by leaps and bounds. And as you might imagine, because we don't 
do that very well. We weren't doing it very well. Right. So I started working with this organization, and they were literally frozen in fear. New leadership was brought in. Nobody was bought into the strategy. Nobody was on board. Employees were fearful for their jobs because they knew that new skills were needed. And it was kind of a mess. It was it was going to crash. And um, I got trained in this methodology, and we came back and employed it, and turn an organization around that was absolutely frozen in fear into a very collaborative, focused organization that successfully achieved the goals that had been set for them. Right. So you're kind of in this mode of creating positive change within an organization that's it doesn't feel like it would be an easy task at the beginning. Uh, I know that's not a particular, that's not the best way to look at it from a, when, once you're in that mode. I, but from the from everyone else's perspective, they would, my, first thing I think is, wow, that sounds really hard. And so, particularly, where have have you really focused kind of that leadership focus for people maybe really entrenched into the ways that they're doing things or into particular leadership models or old habits? You know, how do you really get the most hardened leaders to really understand the need for that that change, that positive change inside an organization? Well, I think there, and I started this work about 15 years ago, so it was a bit of a different time and place. You know, positive psychology wasn't really in place yet. It really wasn't making the strides that it, that we've seen from it today. And there was a lot of skepticism. And it was just it, hippie stuff, right? Yeah, it seemed like this woo-woo, soft, <laughs> Pollyanna stuff. Um, all you need to do is get an experience with it, and it'll change your perspective. And that's, in fact, how we sold it to this original organization, was we put their leadership team through a demonstration. And after the demonstration, these were people that ran our computer systems so very technical people and is at you know with that a few hours of an experience they 100 percent bought in um it's it's um it's so collaborative organization and people are dying for more positivity they may not know it but they are mm-hmm. uh fear is rampant in a lot of organizations and it's it's having a really negative effect on on performance and on people Right. Um, so, you know, getting a taste of a positive, it's really all about creating positive dialogue in a very focused way um, and getting every voice in the organization to be heard and honored. And that has dramatic impact all by itself. So maybe you could talk a little bit about for someone, someone who hasn't had any real experience or been, you know, kind of really even seen anything that has to do with appreciative inquiry. I don't know if, if you prefer appreciative inquiry or appreciative leadership, which if, or if they're technically, <laughs> they're <different. laughs> technically two different things. Let's just let's start with appreciative inquiry, right? Okay. So so if someone hasn't really heard of that, I don't know, how would you describe it? What's sort of the, the way, that your, your gateway drug here to get us thinking about it? <laughs> well, that's actually the, the most challenging aspect about it because it's really hard to describe. Um, I can tell you a story probably that but will help you. Stories are best for radio, so okay. let's do that. Okay, good. So this is a fairly narrow application, but um, a company that was having really bad meetings and knew they wanted to bring about successful change in their meetings because we were spending a lot of money sitting around conference tables and and not doing much as a result, but we can't not do it. We still have to get together. So they hired me to help them, and uh, after some discussion about what might be the best way to do it, we agreed to do a process where they would be able to design their own meetings. So the process works roughly like this. I had 40 leaders. We put them into two groups of 20, two different days, because we didn't have a conference room big enough for 40 people. And in three hours' time, I took them through a process where they interviewed each other in pairs, and then they came back and got into small groups and talked about what the, the what they learned from the interviews that they did with one another. 
Uh, they got into small groups of fours or sixes. And if, if Chris, if I had interviewed you, I would, in the small group, tell your stories in the interview to the group, and you would tell mine. And then out of those stories, we would look for, which is a different, a little bit of a different term, but root causes of success. So the first question was, tell me about the best meeting you've ever been in. So we look at what's working. That's the first thing that we start with. Right. Um, so at the end of the day, I had 40 stories of the best meetings anybody's ever been in. That's very rich data. And then we look for the root causes of success for those stories and those those meetings. And then we decide which ones are most important. Um, then there was a commitment question, just because if we can get people to say they're committed, they'll be more committed. And the last question is a future-focused question. It's an imagine what could be in the future. And it was... If we won an award in Orange County for the best meetings in Orange County, say the the Orange County Business Journal was going to give out an award, what would our meetings look like? So I had 40 stories of if we if we hit the ball out of the park, what would it look like? So it's a lot of rich conversation. And, and the, the group of people who walked in the door to begin with were like, oh, my goodness, I'm coming to a meeting for three hours to talk about meetings. Oh, yeah, a meeting just, about meetings, right. Just kill me now. <laughs> um, but by the time they did their interview and they started debriefing what was in the interviews, they were I, – I was shocked at the level of energy in the room. They were about bouncing off the walls, and I'm like – Wow, that's a lot for meetings. How can anybody be that excited? One guy says, when we get this right, it's just the way we roll. Um, and there, people were excited about the innovations that were coming out in the, the future focus questions. Um, and there was just a ton of commitment and energy that was in the room. Um, I had done best practices research because I thought they might be interested, and we had time, so I shared it. Every piece of, of the best practices, I had three different sources, everything listed there came was, was in their stories, which was really cool because, it's, you know, if we, if we tap into the collective wisdom of our organization, it's kind of shocking what we can find. Right. So we got a group of people. I got a bunch of representatives from the first 20 group of 20 and some from the second group of 20, and together they put together the most creative design for meetings I've ever seen. Well, and what you're kind of describing, and you, you said it very early on, and this is what I always have kind of grabbed onto, it's the what's working type of a way to look at things. Instead of what's the problem or how can we fix the problem or let's dissect the problem, it's what's working, what's going well, how can we do that better, how can we do more of that. And it's so, I wouldn't say ignoring what's not working, but it's sort of <laughs> making it a second-class citizen, right? I mean, it's not it's not the priority thing anymore, and that's a whole different way for people to think about things. Yeah, I mean, what we found in the if we, if you might call the the negative side, we might look at that from a deficit focus. And when you try to solve problems from a deficit focus, you're usually just kind of getting uh, putting a bandaid on, doing a workaround, a, re, a remediation, and getting things just moving towards sort sort of a status quo, getting them back to normal. And appreciative inquiry, we're just, let's blow it out. Let's go big. Let's imagine if we could hit that ball out of the park, what might that look like? And then move in that direction. That brings out passion and inspiration in people. Because um, people want to do cool stuff, and they want to innovate. And that's where we're known for innovation. We're known for the passion that gets created in the process. We're known for the unity of purpose. That we that gets created in, in through the collaborative dialogue that goes on, 
And because of that, we get more sustainable results. This organization put together a communication plan to stay focused on this because one of the things that we say is what you focus on is what grows. Mm -hmm. So they put together a 20-month communication plan, and at 15 months, they were still on plan. And that's another important little well, tinnyism there you just said, right? We might call it, <laughs> is what you focus on is what grows. And so if you focus on the problems, then more problems are going to grow, right? People, Absolutely. So it's it's another way to maybe kind of shake things up for people to realize there is a completely different way to think about these things. There's a completely different way to approach them and a different way to really have your organizations operate and exist if, if you want it to. Absolutely. And not only is it different, but it, you get better results from it. Right. You, you get you get new, better thinking, new thinking. It takes all the threat away. Mm-hmm. It takes the finger pointing away. Um, we're all we're all aspiring for something that we all want to achieve together. Right. Um, and and so it's it's um, it's pretty liberating. And then, so if we then kind of turn, maybe it's a slight pivot, but then looking at the appreciative leadership component, then then how is that different? How would you describe that? Well, um, interestingly, the, the, the way it came about, the class that I teach, the way it came about was this first group of people at Experian, that we, the people that ran our computer systems. I mean, the outcomes of the prod, of the work that we did with them were beyond their wildest expectations they were really really excited people i would have i bet you over 50 percent of the people in that room had their their resumes out looking for jobs because it was that unpleasant um that totally changed as a result people you know people were excited and engaged and you know non-exempt employees were running major teams in the organization and and bringing about amazing um, innovations but then one of the things that came about was a training program. It was a 13-month training program on company time paid for by the company to help the existing employees develop the skills that were necessary to perform at the higher level. Um, it took a few months to put it together, and by the time it was put together and we were getting ready to announce it, the leader was going to put an accountability policy on it. And I'm like, what's that? And he said, well, good leaders hold their people accountable. And I got to tell them that if they don't take the training and complete the training, we'll fire them. And I'm like, this is a gift you're giving to them that they asked you for. I don't think you need to do that. And we really pleaded with him not to do it. But he said, that's what good leaders do, and I'm going to do that. And it blew up in his face, and he had to retract it. So my my partner in crime and I looked at each other and said, they're all command and control style leaders. Mm-hmm. And this is really an exercise in distributed leadership. You know, it's about giving the change away to the people and allowing them to help you to decide what's necessary to make the change happen. You can't come back in later and try to grab back your control as a command and control style leader. We realized that all of the leaders, these were all command and control style leaders, and they were great people. They were enthusiastic, excited about what was going on, but they didn't know any other way to lead. So we came up with an approach to training them and getting them to collaborate on what they wanted from leadership that was built on inspirational leadership rather than command and control style leadership. That's where the leadership came from. And that might be one of the most important things to realize is that people don't have this basis of knowledge to be able to go back and say, well, I'm going to do it a different way. They've been, they've learned one way, whether it was from how their parents raised them or how their managers taught them when they started off, it was all, you know, that's what they knew. And so you expect them to do something different, but they don't have been taught. 
It's like, it's like saying, Absolutely. go write in Spanish. I don't know Spanish. Right. Spanish would be a better way to communicate. Well, I don't know Spanish. <laughs> well, and I don't know why organizations think that leaders are just born, um, because right. there's very little um, training. A few natural, maybe, you know, charismatic people, but actual real leaders are a little taught, right? But even those people, even the charismatic leaders can learn skills. Absolutely. And they can learn perspectives. And if our images, and that's another thing we believe in appreciative inquiry, we move in the direction of the images that we hold. If our image about leadership is is truly whether we want to call it that or not it's command and control that's the way we're going to lead and so this was really about creating a dialogue that helped them see and image a different approach to leadership that was more what i would call unleashing talent rather than trying to control it um and it was transformational for them and and, uh, you know we have the benefit now that was what i when maybe 10 12 years ago uh, we now have so much more information about human behavior from the positive psychology perspective, neuroscience, and all of the amazing research that's been, you know, coming out in the last 10 years or so. Um, we know so much more about human behavior than we did then. Right. And hasn't that been a big boost for this, the, the positive inquiry movement that, that really the brain science has really come back and said, yeah, this is right. This is what you're supposed to be doing. And, I mean, maybe that grew out of a psychology standpoint, but mm-hmm. from a neuro- neurological standpoint, now the kind of the basis, the evidence has now come back and said, yeah, this is they're it. They're both saying almost exactly the same thing. Right. It's just they're approaching it from slightly different perspectives. Yeah, I think it is helping. But the, the part of the challenge that we face is that some of the more senior executives in larger companies grew up in a command and control style leadership, whether they knew it or not, and worked for them. So there are a lot of people who still believe in fear and in, in leadership, who still believe in control, and who still believe about cracking the whip um, rather than unleashing the talent. Right, right. So, uh, you know, I know sometimes people come uh, to your uh, events or conferences that you hold from time to time, and they might be an individual in an organization. So let's say they're going back to an organization that's not... Mm-hmm. necessarily doing the things that you're talking about. So how impactful can that person be inside an organization that maybe is doing command and control or, you know, maybe it's not that bad. Maybe it's not over-the-top fear. But, you know, they're sort of normally operating and things go okay. But can someone come, really come in and, and on their own be a, a real difference for the company? Uh, that's a great question. Um I think it's hard to do it that way. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a big uh, believer in having a number of people. Uh, First of all, it's kind of hard to be a lone soldier, um, to be the only one doing and saying things a particular way. Um, Unless maybe the CEO, right? If you're the only one there. But if if you're the... The assistant IT tech, right, or something. Right, absolutely. Yeah, so coming in in the middle is hard. You're exactly yeah. right. Um, although, you know, um, setting being a role model can make a difference, and it is positive, so I think it has, um, it, it, you know, it's, it's um, contagious in many regards, and results prove the matter better than anything. So if, if a person does come to this and, and they can – establish better results and and um and they have their people are out producing other people then that will that will um stand for itself but i don't think that's the easiest or the best way um 
I like to do this with with whole teams of leaders Mm -hmm. um, and have them discuss together what does great leadership look like. And if we were if we were a great leadership team, how would you describe yourself? What would we look like? What would be um, how would what would our if you might say our purpose statement? How would we describe our leadership? And you know, having people talk on that level for maybe eight or ten hours is. I mean, we just never do that. People never talk about leadership at that level. And there's, in my mind, there's almost nothing more important in an organization than how we lead. Right. So, you know, I guess if you have a a group of people, at least, that are trained or know kind of this, and they can start to impact the company, and I guess maybe at some point it might seep in, and other leaders might, you know, take notice or get training. What's the impact that you start to see on things like employee engagement or organizational development? Well, we, we just know that people perform better when they're in a positive state of emotions. And that's one of the things that we've gotten out of the positive psychology movement. People have more a- access to more of their talents when they're in a positive state. So if we have organizations that are, 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 are have predominantly fear-oriented cultures, first of all, when you're in a state of fear, you don't collaborate very well. You're in a survival mode. You're, you're, your um, survival mechanism has been kicked off. And when you're in a survival mode, it's all about you. Right. So you don't connect with other people very well. And if you don't connect with other people very well, you're not going to collaborate or team very well. We also know that when you're in a survival mode, you don't innovate. You don't need to. You are, it's all about you know this ancient part of our brain, which is what kicks us into survival mode, still thinks that we're running away from saber-toothed tigers. Right, it's that lizard mode, right? It's lizard the lizard brain, brain absolutely. Um, and if that's the case, then... You know, we don't need to be particularly innovative when we're running away from saber-toothed tigers. Um, but if we want change and we find want innovation... A, find a hole and hide, right? <laughs> right. <I> mean, that... <laughs> and the other thing is, you know, because fear is so predominant in so many organizations, it's creating huge physical challenges. Um, it's What happens is, is this is not a cognitive response that people go through. This is what happens when you're in a fear response is different chemicals uh, are produced in your body and it causes physiological changes in your body it's not a choice that you make you might be able to manage some of those if you are skilled at learning how to do that um, and you can see them coming but it's not like oh I'm I'm going to be fearful today it's your body chemistry is different and, and the woman um, who re- wrote the book Positivity her name is Barbara Fredrickson one of my favorites um, she said we're literally living in a different chemical stew when we're in a state of negative emotions as opposed to when we're in a state of positive emotions. Yeah, absolutely. You can just you can sometimes sense it with people that have been li- maybe living in that stew for a long time. You can just feel how differently they think and how they interact and how they perceive things differently, if, m- most of the time very inaccurately, in my opinion, of what's That's going true. on around them. It's an over-response, generally speaking. We, right. when, we, when we're in that negative frame, we tend to see everything in a heightened negative response. Mm-hmm. And, and it's self-perpetuating because right. we, you know, so it's, it, it, it's sort of interesting all the things that we've learned of, you know, there's some very interesting stuff that you can get out on the Harvard Business Review about the, the, the neurochemistry of positive conversations versus negative conversations. When you have a negative conversation with somebody, it stimulates different chemical production. Mm-hmm. The stuff that we were just talking about. And that, the, that those chemicals that are in your body 
last a long time and take time to break down. Um, the same thing happens in reverse is different chemicals are produced when you have a positive conversation with someone. And the, the bad news about that is they don't stay in your body. They, de- they, they deteriorate faster. They don't stay in your body as fast as, the, as long as the, the negative chemicals do. But it's just a different chemical response. And, and so, you know, we, we want to make all of this a cognitive choice, and that's not what it is. It's really a physiological response to our sim- the stimuli around us. Right, right. So going back to your question, um, if we want to have engagement, you know, if we want people that are really committed and excited and passionate about our work, we have to create cultures that stimulate positive emotions because that's where high performance comes from. We, we've got to get fear out of our organizations. We've got to get neutrality out of our organizations. We've got to get stress out of our organizations um, because that's not contributing to what we want. Yeah, and it's amazing how um, so many companies are almost blind to that or just sort of operating in one particular way and they're not even seeing it. And it takes maybe one or a few people to start, uh, you know, maybe picking at the scab or whatever it may be, right, <laughs> to start start agitating that system a little bit to get, the, you know, better results out of it from a, having a completely different approach. Yeah, and for me, when I was the very first experience, which I told the story of earlier, you know, it was a dramatic change for me to see what was possible. Um, and as an HR person, it made me realize the potential that HR could have if it moved away from tactics and compliance and focused more on human behavior and culture right. uh, to bring about high performance. Right. There's nothing more important than an organization than the people in it. And so how do we create an environment where the people can be their best selves? Well, we're almost out of time. I have two more quick questions. I okay. have to make sure we ask. The first <laughs> one is, is what are you reading right now? I just finished a book uh, called Positive Leadership. Shocking. <laughs> positive Leadership for Extraordinary Results All right. by Kim Cameron, who's a professor of positive psychology and very highly regarded positive psychologist at the University of Michigan. Um, and he posits in his book that positive leadership creates positive culture, positive culture creates positive conversations, and that, can, and that in addition to positive change brings about extraordinary results. Sounds like a great book to check out. Again, a reminder, we'll list that on our blog recap for everyone in case you didn't have a pen to to write that down. And then, of course, our final question is how can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more about what you're doing or maybe attend one of your conferences or have you come in and consult with them? What's the best way for them to do that? Well, they can go to my website, which is uh, the West Coast Center for Positive Change um, dot com and also West Coast dot positive change dot org. Um, and all my workshops are there. A bit about my background is there. Um, and you, you can connect to me through that very easily. Well, Tanya, I really appreciate you coming in. We finally got you into the studio. <laughs> and you've, you've been uh, a, a great uh, kind of communicator and, and leader in this area. So we've had, and we've had you at the summit. And now we've had you in here. So really appreciate all that you're doing. Um, you also do, we didn't have time to talk about, but you do some good stuff for people who are in transition. So I guess if you're, you're local here in Orange County and you're in transition, you should definitely look up Tenny and, and reach out to her. She might be able to help you. So, um, but thanks for coming in and well, thanks for having me. Hopefully we can have you come back at some point.
point. Give us I'd an love update. to. Yeah, we can get Kimberly in here. We can have you guys pull at the same time and we can argue about stuff. That'd <laughs> oh, be, sure. That'd, that'd be, be fun. That'd be interesting. So, <laughs> have to find someone we maybe just slightly disagree about. I think we might all agree too much on too I many would, things. I was just going to say that might be true. I have to find something to disagree on. Oh, all right. We'll find, we can look for something. I can play devil's advocate. It's all right. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, hopefully, you've gained something that will help impact your own career in a positive way. Next week, I'll welcome uh, let's see Josh Levine, a partner of uh, Great Monday, and then Lori uh, Kleeman. Hopefully, I'm saying that correctly. Speaker and author uh, for HR Topics. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2.